The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is going on, Bills Mafia? It is your host, AJ Sabalski, with another edition of AJ's Analysis here on the Buffalo Rumblings Network. If you could please subscribe, share, like, whatever you do to listen on audio. It's available on all audio platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Um, a huge episode today. The Bills on a bye week. Uh, so obviously a nice break from all of the stress on the weekends with, with the Bills so far this year. I'm joined by uh, NFL draft analyzer um, from CBS Sports, Chris Trapasso. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, AJ. Thanks for having me on. Honestly, Buffalo Rumblings, it's a place I hold near and dear to my heart. It was like one of the first Bills blogs that I read like when I was in college in like 2007, 2008, right when Brian Galliford started. I, I worked as the editor-in-chief of Buffalo Rumblings for a few years during the Tyrod years. So when I saw that, I mean, we've met at the Combine, but when you told me that this was through Buffalo Rumblings, had to jump on the opportunity. And just to talk about the Bills, it seems like they haven't played in forever and got a huge game against the Chiefs coming up. And then that high mark stadium game against the Dallas Cowboys in week 15 will be amazing. Yeah, it's uh it's nice to finally talk to you again, obviously meeting at the combine. My yeah. first time going, I know you've probably been doing it for a, a little bit now, but it was it was a pretty cool experience for me. And I'm hoping to to go down there again this year. So it's fun. Maybe we'll maybe, yeah it is fun. It's really fun. So I want to start with uh some college football talk just because I think that's something that a lot of people are talking about, even if they aren't like really huge college football fans, I think it's an interesting dynamic that's going on with the college football playoff committee. They chose their four teams for the college football playoff, one Michigan, two Washington, three Texas for Alabama. Now there's now, now a debate about it in terms of should they pick the best four teams or the most like accomplished teams or a combination of that. Now, before I ask you, I just want to give my thoughts on it. I have watched a lot more college football this year just because I'm kind of trying to take an angle um, and getting more into college football prospects just to enhance my understanding. And for me, it's it's tough because I don't even think these are the four best teams. Uh, I don't think Texas is a top four – is a, you know one of the best teams in the country. I think Georgia's better. Uh, Georgia won 29 games in a row before losing one game to a really good Alabama team. Alabama lost to Texas early in the year. So, again, I understand, like, why they did it. Obviously, Alabama and Michigan's a better matchup than Florida State-Michigan in terms of, like, you know, the money aspect of it and all that stuff. But I do think that, you know, people who think Florida State should have been in, 
it does make sense. They're 13 and all. They won their conference championship. They're a power five school. So just give me your thoughts on that whole dynamic and what you thought of the college football committee's decision to uh, have those four teams in. Yeah, I don't think we're too far off in terms of just what we're thinking coming out of those top four teams being in the college football playoff. What struck me that has not really been talked about a lot is, and, and it, it's kind of funny that like you and I feel similarly about Texas. They win big in the Big 12 title game against Oklahoma State, and there was kind of a, a I think like a nationwide course, like, oh, that's one of the top four teams they should get in. I didn't think it was such a, a open and shut case that they get in, and they don't only get in. They're the number three seed, not the number four seed. Uh, I get that they're playing good football. I think to kind of ask a team and say, hey, like run up the score in your in your conference championship game, that's like kind of weird to me. And what I think was being glossed over is Texas lost to a two-loss Oklahoma team that was the 12th ranked team in the country. It's kind of like, oh, hey, that loss doesn't really matter. It happened a long time ago in October. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I'm just kind of surprised that that w- wasn't seemingly more at play. We've seen a lot of teams recently throughout college football history. I always think back to the, what, 2012, 2013, Johnny Manziel, Texas A&M Aggies. They had two losses, I believe. But like at the end of the season, they beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa when no one was beating Alabama. They were like one of the hottest, most deserving teams to get into a college football playoff then. And they didn't. Um, so to me, it was a little weird that Texas just jumped as far as they did. Like you mentioned, I thought, and my my final prediction was that Georgia was still going to be in because you're right. They miss a field goal, uh, and they lose by three against a team that knows them very intimately that the Nick Saban, Kirby smart dynamics, same defenses, a lot of the same recruits guys that transferred from Alabama to Georgia, Georgia to Alabama. Uh, so that was really surprising. They fell as far as they did. And then on the, on the flip side, um, no, I, I think every Florida state fan would say, yeah, like our team's not nearly as dynamic at all with a second or a third string quarterback. That would be the case for any team, but they did win all their games. And for Texas to say, Hey, look, like we're hot. We have a huge win in the big 12 title game. Florida State doesn't have a loss on their resume. But what's good about all this and why I haven't spent too much time on it, next year going to the 12-team playoff, we're not going to have these silly debates. I mean, maybe we'll be debating 12 versus 13 and 14, uh, but I don't think those will obviously draw as much conversation uh, you know, across the college football landscape as this one did. Definitely, there's a lot of different angles to look at it, and the committee had their work cut out for, their work cut out for them, of course. Um, but again, Texas is lost to Oklahoma. It seems like everyone just kind of forgot that that happened. Yeah, I felt the same way. I, I am looking forward to the 12 team playoff just from like a fan perspective, trying to get into it more. It's cool to see like maybe there's a, a 15 versus eight matchup late in the year that's actually going to have hold some merit. And it's not like, well, sure. these two teams lost the game and, you know, this season's over for them. So, uh, yeah, wait, let me just jump in there. I, I, I have, so my brother in law, Jody, is a huge Florida State fan and he's, pretty devastated i i mean i think he's handling it okay but he was obviously kind of you know bummed when that came out but i he and i had a conversation during this college football season that what you just mentioned i think happens to a lot of fan bases you lose a game early then you lose another game you have two losses you're kind of out of it you're still rooting for your team but you're like all right we're hoping to play close to new year's eve the 12 team playoff is going to make the regular season even more uh, hotly contested and teams are going to say hey look we could maybe lose a game here or there in September and October and still get in like Missouri. No one would want to play Missouri. And I don't think anyone would necessarily want to play Oregon 
at this point of the year. They could have been a, you know, a six or a seven or an eight or a nine um, or even Liberty being undefeated could be one of those teams that has kind of a run in the college football playoff. I don't necessarily think at the college football level, like we do see in basketball to have one of those Cinderella runs all the way to the final four to a national title game, but just to see the parody um, and teams and their fan bases, like you mentioned, be able to kind of stay committed to their teams and stay invested throughout a season in hopes of getting into that 12 team playoff. I think that alone makes this shift from four teams to 12 teams. Definitely worth it. And before we move on, because now we're going to, we're going to move on to the bills playoff chances here back to back mm. to the NFL. But uh, who, who do you think wins it uh, out of the, out of those four teams that are better in the college football playoff? I'm not enamored with really any of them. Like you mentioned that you didn't think that they were the top four teams. Uh, I I think Michigan probably is the most well-rounded, but at so many games this year against really lackluster opponents in the Big Ten, they kind of kept it close in the first half and then just wore teams down. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that against Alabama. I think this is the most wide-open college football playoff that we've had. Like It seems like every year, whether it be Clemson, whether it be Alabama, uh, Georgia recently, it just seemed like, okay, that, that is definitely the best team in college football. I think any of these teams could do it. Uh, to me, though, Washington's firepower, and although their their defense uh, certainly can be porous at times, they have some good uh, pass rushers up front. I think they can be a team that could even get down in a game. And with Roma Dunze and those wide receivers, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, and obviously Michael Penix, the Heisman finalist, they can certainly extend leads, but I think even if they get down against Texas, they can come back, and I think they could score points against Michigan or Alabama because they have those first and second round caliber prospects on the offensive line at quarterback and at receiver. Yeah, Washington is my favorite. I'm an Notre Dame fan, so like Sam, okay. Howell, or not Sam, Howell, sorry, Sam Hartman, uh, and and that squad. They, again, like early in the year they lost, and it was just like, well, like now I kind yeah, of feel like exactly. so like. So that's kind of going back to that point. But, yeah, I, I loved watching Washington this year. Penick, I, Penix, I think, is going to be special in the NFL as long as he – I think he's going to have to be in a good situation with a good offensive line. And he's good not weapons. super mobile. What did you say? Yeah, that's what I mean. He's not so super he's not, mobile, yeah. Right. He's not going to make plays off script as much. But if you give him a nice pocket and you and you and he has receivers around him that he can trust, I think he has potential in the league. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's go to the Bills. Uh, Bills playoff chances. So we talked college football playoff. Um we're moving on now here to Bill's playoff chances. Six and six, tenth seed in the AFC, just ahead of Cincy, who has a worst, uh, a worst conference record. The Broncos ahead of them at six and six, and then you got four, seven, and five teams: Texans, Browns, Colts, Steelers. Now, at this point, it doesn't matter if the Jaguars really lose out. Um, if the Jaguars lose out, if Lawrence, you know, if, they, if the Jaguars just Lawrence takes three to four weeks to come back, and they're a total bust and they it doesn't really impact the bills at all it's still like i i read something today i forget from exactly who but it didn't really change much for the bills playoff percentage um right now per new york times it's at 15 percent and 21 percent per espn analytics now before we get into the bills i just want to talk about these teams that are ahead of the bills and their situations you got the steelers mitch trubisky who who just lost kenny pickett for who knows how long he's probably a few weeks at least uh yeah. anthony richardson for the colts has been out a while gardner Minshew. Hit or miss, he has his games and his moments where you think, oh, this guy can maybe be a serviceable starter. Then he has his moments where it's like, yeah, that's why he's a backup. Then you got the Browns, who also do not have Deshaun Watson. So, again, they've kind of been, you know, 
DTR, now Joe Flacco. Um, so they're, they're kind of all over the place. And then the Broncos as well, uh, the, a team that has kind of found themselves. But still, I don't I think they lack the firepower on the offensive side of the ball to really create problems in the playoffs. So just talk about those five teams, four, four or five teams, maybe not in, gen- in general maybe because there's a lot. But uh, just give me your thoughts on those five teams that are ahead of the Bills and where you think you know, they could go this year. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head kind of just generally going over all those teams. And the overarching theme is there's huge quarterback problems for all those teams. Like even with the Browns, it's like Joe Flacco last week on Sunday against the Rams started off making some good throws. Like his arm strength looked like it was back in rookie year Joe Flacco mold. And then Joe Flacco came out uh, later in the game. If he's on the field, is he better than Dorian Thompson Robinson? Because DTR was great in the preseason, but he's been very pedestrian and made a lot of bad decisions when he's been on the field so it's almost like I think if he's healthy uh they'll start Dorian Thompson Robinson but is he really a better option than Joe Flacco in Kevin Stefanski's scheme so it's like big problem there the quarterback position in Pittsburgh kind of the same deal that's with Mitchell Trubisky you really have no ability to move the football uh, (laughs) consistently throughout a game you just don't I mean we've seen it time and time again with Kenny Pickett, yes, he had the. They finally got over that 400 yard hump that they hadn't done in 40 something games. But even in the first quarter, first half against the Cardinals, I watched all those Kenny Pickett throws. wasn't really impressive against a two and ten team that has a lot of bottom of the roster players and young guys playing on the defensive side in the Arizona Cardinals. So they have a pretty big problem. Uh, and the Colts, I think you're right. Right when Gardner Minshew, you feel like, Hey, this guy kind of deserves a starting job. Then he'll get sacked five times and not be able to complete a pass over 15 yards because he has bottom tier arm strength. I do think Shane Steichen does a great job scheming guys open. Um, and the defense is surprisingly played pretty well overarching though. What I'll say is a lot of these teams have to still play each other. And even with the Bengals lurking a team that we saw, certainly on Monday Night Football, can play with some of the better teams in the AFC, even with Jake Browning at quarterback. I think there's a lot of possibilities for teams that are even lower than the Bills to play spoiler and just the Steelers playing the Browns and the Bengals and the Broncos still having to play the Chargers twice. Uh, I think we are under the impression that like every team in the wild card in the AFC needs to be like 11 and six or better. And I don't think that's the case. I think these teams are going to beat up on each other. And certainly if the bills could go on a run, that would help, but it wouldn't be surprising if down the stretch, we see a lot of two and three and three and two and one and four records among these teams, because I do think because of the quarterback situations with all of those teams currently in the the wild card spots. Now um, there's just so much inconsistency that we normally see from that. So certainly nothing is close to being uh concrete in terms of the AFC five, six, or seven seed in the playoffs. Yeah, the Texans for me are not a lock to get in, but I think with the way CJ Stroud's played with the quarterback, the, yes. the tank Dell, yeah. the tank Dell injury is a concern because he's really been their their go-to. Um, mm-hmm. but just for example, you're you're talking about all these teams playing each other. I just want to point one out quick that I found, you know, a couple hours before the show and I was doing my like preparation was mm-hmm. if the if the Steelers lose to the Patriots this week which could happen which they play. could absolutely yeah. they could yeah, right and then if the Colts lose to the Bengals who just show, who you know they just showed that they're going to be a hard team to beat late in the year even mm-hmm. with Jake Browning I thought he showed some things 
next week, the Steel or the week after this week, the Steelers and Colts play each other. If both these teams lose this week and then the loser of that game, that's already a team with seven losses with three weeks to go. So, like you said, I think there is a lot of teams playing each other that's going to result in losses. And if if these teams again, they're not they're not dominant teams. Like they're not a like the Browns are not a dominant team. They're they have a really good defense. They find ways to win, but they're not a dominant team. So, like you said, I think these teams, the bottom feeder teams like the Cardinals, can still find ways to beat up on these you know mediocre wild card kind of in the hunt teams in the AFC. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the Titans obviously go into overtime. They miss an extra point late. Uh, obviously would have changed things just in terms of the game script, but they could have won that game, what, 20, 25, 24, 26, 25, whatever it was, yeah. had they made an extra point. Um, with Ryan Tannehill was the holder. He wasn't used to it because they're punter. It was just a weird game. It was a weird week, and it almost seems like the Bills went into, I think, week 12, as the team that had lost the most cap hit or the highest amount of cap hit due to injury this season, a lot of the other teams are kind of trying to catch up to them. There were so many injuries across the league. Uh, certainly the Bills would have probably liked to win that game in Philadelphia going into the bye week seven and five. But just based on what we saw all across the league, and it's just totally just random misfortune for these teams, it kind of feels like the Bills bye week came at a very good time. There was a lot of uh, rain games and a lot of slipping uh, the Bills didn't have to deal with any of that, although obviously against the Eagles, that was a huge uh, kind of problem on defense for both teams. Uh, but yeah, like for the Bills being this ridiculously injured team on the defensive side, those other injuries across the league, especially in the wild card race, has really has really piled up for a lot of the other squads that are ahead of the Bills or right there in the hunt for one of those three wild card spots um, with Buffalo. Yeah, the, the uh, Bills. Uh, now I want to stick uh, stick with the Bills here. Um, you know, do you think, I think I'll know your you know, answer to this, but I'm still going to ask the question. Do you think the Bills have a chance to kind of sneak in here? I said uh, previously 15% chance per New York Times and a 21% chance. So they're they're in that 15 to 20% range basically on every model here. So do you think the Bills have a realistic chance to sneak in? Obviously it starts against Kansas City, who we'll talk about later in the episode, but is where are you at with that? Yeah, I think they do. I mean, I... I think the only reason, obviously, it's it's so low, and and obviously, Bills fans seeing that or reading that, depending on which site you're on, it's like, man, fifteen percent, just because of the Chiefs and the Cowboys standing in their way. Now, we just saw a week ago that the Bills, I thought for the vast majority of that Eagles game, were the better team against Philadelphia. Um, had a ten point lead in that game, twenty four fourteen, and what I've said this week, I I said it on WGR earlier in the week that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You never like, I don't think any team goes into Arrowhead and is like, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake game. We're going to win. But if there's one team that could feel that way, despite two playoff losses, it's probably the Bills, the team that has beaten the Chiefs in Arrowhead in each of the last two seasons. And given Patrick Mahomes one of his only double digit losses, probably at home, I, I think it's the only one he's had at home in his Chiefs, in his Chiefs starting career. 
So to win that game, I think it would jump considerably. It almost doubles, I believe, up to like 30 or 40%. The Cowboys will be very difficult, but at least you get that game at home. And I'm not going to say, especially given how this bill season has gone, uh, that Chargers, Patriots, Dolphins is, is a piece of cake. But we've seen the ripple effect that the Bills offense really humming has on the entire defense to not be out on the field as much to be in situations where you know it's going to be a pass. You can pin your ears back as a pass rusher because you have a lead. Uh, it seems like the secondary plays better because quarterbacks are, are, are hurried a lot more. And to then just have that extra week to prepare for this stretch run, I think, Again, winning five games is never easy in the NFL, but we've seen the Bills do it in the Sean McDermott and Josh Allen era. They're at least set up. It's not like it's a short week and they have to go on the road against a team they've never beaten before. It will be difficult, but I almost think in a way, because of the Bills having so many losses this season against lesser opponents where they didn't seem focused, a lot of turnovers, a lot of sloppy play, especially in the first quarter, in the first half, it's in a weird way, a good thing that they're going to have to be very focused at the task at hand for the Chiefs game and the Cowboys game. Now, certainly you would like to play probably the Cardinals and the Panthers, but I, I don't think it's always the worst thing for a team like the Bills, given where they are with their backs up against the wall to say, look, we need to have a very great week of practice and be super focused with the, our game plan, our uh, practice execution, and then our execution in the game over these next two weeks to have a chance to win. Yeah, the Bills, I mean, in terms of what they actually, you know, in terms of like football stuff, what the Bills have to do for me, it's just, you know, continuing this offensive dominance for the most part. I think they've really dominated with Joe Brady. I think his utilization, and again, we'll talk about this. I, I'm really intrigued about the Spagnuolo versus Brady matchup, but the, the running back usage for the Bills the last, you know, couple of weeks with Joe Brady has been very helpful in terms of them moving the ball and Josh Allen's comfortability and getting in a rhythm and all that stuff. So if the Bills can continue to do that, utilize Kincaid uh, and Cleo Shakir, who again is emerging, both those guys, again, this offense next year, Chris, it's going to be, you're bringing back the same offensive line. You're bringing back Diggs, Kincaid, Shakir. You're probably going to get rid of Hardy. You save some money there. Sheriff was on a one-year deal. So you fill in those gaps, maybe with a rookie receiver or something like that. But this offense next year is going to be, I think as long as they can keep continuity, uh, I think if Sean McDermott is staying, which I'm 95% sure he's going to no matter what, uh, and then with with Brady here, I think it's going to be some fun stuff. I just want to touch on the Von Miller thing really quick. Um, obviously, the allegations against him over the bye week, um, nothing really to update there in terms of his situation. Um, he's If he's suspended – by Roger Goodell, they do have some time to do that, but if it's after March or whatever, the start of the next league year, the Bills can't get out of the contract. So there are some things that if it does take a while, the Bills are going to have to make a decision. I don't know what decision they make. They'll probably let the process play out. The story's kind of gone back and forth, um, and I don't really – we don't really know much right now, so that's mm-hmm. really all I have to say about uh, the, the Von Miller thing. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's kind of a waiting game for everyone, and I think the Bills are in – somewhat of a waiting game to see if there's any quick resolution. It doesn't seem like there's going to be on the legal side of things. And typically how Roger Goodell and the league has gone about uh, any instance like this one is they kind of wait for the legal process before they're handing down any, I mean, how would they have any way to say, is it a four game suspension, a year suspension? Is he on the commissioner's exempt list? So I don't think this is anything that the bills are expecting or Von Miller is expecting to hear anything from the league 
or from authorities in Dallas anytime soon. All right, let's preview this Bills versus Chiefs matchup. I just want to set the scene really quick. Um, again, Bills offense coming off the bye week, and they're on fire scoring 30-plus uh, last two games on offense. The Bills are 5-0 and under Sean McDermott coming off a bye. Um, Patrick Mahomes is 17-3 and coming off a loss. Mm. I don't know if that stat's correct. 5-0 and off the bye under Sean McDermott. Maybe that's since no, Sean McDermott. No, that's right for Sean McDermott. Okay, that is correct. Okay. And I don't know then, about Patrick Mahomes' record, but that's definitely Okay, right. Mahomes I know is right. So so we're good. We're, okay. We got both okay. out here. We're Mahomes good. is 17 and 3 coming off a loss. Um, I just want to set the stage here again. Bills fourth best passing offense in NFL at 260.9 yards per game. Chiefs passing offense eighth at 252.7 yards per game. The Bills rushing offense top 10 this year at 122.3 yards per game and then the Chiefs 109.9 yards per game rushing, which is 16th best in the league, so league average. Points per game on offense. Bills are fifth at 27.3. Again, it's crazy. A top five offense <laughs> that fired an offensive coordinator midseason. That's astonishing. And then the yeah. Chiefs are 11th at 22.9. So, again, we will get to it here very shortly, but the Chiefs offense has taken a, a, a dramatic dip this year um, in terms of just – we'll talk all about it. Defensive points or defensive points allowed. Bills are fifth in the league at 18.9, and the Chiefs um, third at 17.3. So that is something that has changed, and, and it's this Chiefs defense. Um, the Chiefs defense has been able to really create havoc. Steve Spagnuolo does a great job of sending pressure, getting guys free and not blocked, getting to the quarterback, all that stuff. The Bills are going to have a, a challenge against it. Now, I will say – I want to start with this because it's the most intriguing part of this game for me. Steve Spagnuolo versus Joe Brady. I already mentioned Joe Brady's usage of running backs. Um, his route spacing, I think, has been better. I think Josh Allen's felt more comfortable. Um, you know, he still runs in shotgun on third and short. So, remember, it's not just Ken Dorsey that does it. And then um, for the Chiefs, obviously, they're really good at getting pressure, cre creating havoc, getting off the field on third down, stuff like that. So, Chris, just talking about Joe Brady, Steve Spagnuolo here, what are you looking for? And who do you think has the edge in this matchup? Because again, look, I think Joe Brady is doing something that's that Bill, the Bills offense hasn't really been able to do, and that's running the football and sticking with the run, and also using the running backs um, consistently throughout the game. And I don't think Steve Spagnuolo has really, has really had to prepare for that with the Bills team since you know they've been there, since Josh Allen's been there. So just tell me your thoughts on that, and who has the advantage in this one. Yeah, that's a fantastic point and a great question. First, I'll start by who has the advantage. If we're going on experience, obviously it's Steve Spagnuolo. He has multiple Super Bowl rings. He's been there, done that. Joe Brady, very, very young, uh, inexperienced play caller, especially relative to Steve Spagnuolo. Now, what I will say to your last point is very good. When is the last time there was that touchdown drive in the second half against the Eagles that it was like run play, mm -hmm. run play. Run. Mm -hmm. I, I think Josh Allen threw one pass, and it was yeah. like, I, I don't remember. It was literally, I think it goes back to the Rex Ryan, Richie Incognito, Mike Gillisley, Eric Wood, seriously, yeah. where they just had a drive where they were like, we're just going to run. Like, a, And I'm the biggest advocate, like keep the ball in Josh Allen's hands, like run the football on first down. But in a situation like that, on the road where you want to give your defense a rest, you have to factor in more things than just the analytics. I'm a big analytics guy, but it kind of felt like, hey, look, if the Bills can hand off the ball to whoever, whether it's Ty Johnson, Latavius Murray, or James Cook, and get four, five, six yards of carry, and you have no 
worry about a ball slipping through a receiver's hands or getting tipped and you can just will or assert your will on a defense, that is a huge benefit. And like you mentioned, Steve Spagnuolo has never had to game plan for that. What I'm going to be looking for beyond what you mentioned with Joe Brady, we've seen a drastic difference. And this is what uh, was the staple of his offense at LSU. So much more spread, empty sets, four and five wide receivers. Now it can go both ways. Could that be a time when, and he's done it a lot more than we saw Brian Dable do it. And certainly Ken Dorsey is that when, when Steve Spagnuolo says now I'm going to blitz a corner and probably because he is very creative with his blitzes are the bills and Josh Allen able to combat those blitzes and understand, Hey, look, the blitz is coming from here. I'm going to throw it right at the blitz, or I'm going to go to the other side of the field. That is going to be the cat and mouse game. That's going to be most fascinating to me. What I do think helps the bills. And it's something that I pointed out on Twitter the last two weeks over a 60% motion rate on dropbacks in these first two games for Joe Brady. It's the first time in the Josh Allen era that the bills have ever done that in back-to-back weeks. And we all know this. We we've known it since the Tom Brady days in New England. The motion identifies: is it zone? Is it man? Is uh, just it helps out a quarterback so much. So I think even if the Bills are in empty and it looks like Josh Allen is exposed to those famous Steve Spagnola blitzes, uh, if there's motion beforehand or there's play action, some type of misdirection or way for Josh Allen to identify what's coming, that could be something that the Bills use in their favor. And again, it's something new that Steve Spagnuolo has not really had to game plan for going into a game against Josh Allen and the Bills. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. I really do like – and this is like back to the Joe Brady thing real quick. It's it's funny to me that, you know, Ken Dorsey did use motion pre-snap. Now, it wasn't as frequent. It wasn't mm-hmm. really yeah. that high across the league, but he did use it. But it did it does feel like Joe Brady is using it more effectively – and doing it more because he's, you know, he's using it for a purpose. It just feels that way. They're, they're, you know, kind of understanding what defenses are doing by using motion. And that's, I think, again, that's another reason why I think it's helped Josh Allen. Josh Allen's also using his legs more, which again, I think also helps this offense. I think that's the biggest weapon on the offensive side of the ball for them. I, Patrick Mahomes, you want to talk about a guy that's running more this year? It's Patrick Mahomes. Um, he's ran almost 60 times this year and gotten out of the pocket to escape. So like, that's, that's something for me that's kind of, are the Bills, and I'll ask you this now, moving to the defensive side of the ball for the Bills, this Bills defense, I feel, has trouble sometimes. And they did they did good against Jalen Hurts in the first half. I felt like they were able to contain. They were able to get up field, up the middle, and keep those outside you know, edge rushers on the outside to contain Hurts in the pocket. That's what they're going to have to do with Patrick Mahomes, and people forget about that because Patrick Mahomes, you remember there's some times against the Bills where he's, you know, his legs have – got them into the red zone and scored a touchdown. He's made some miraculous plays with his legs. So for this defensive line, I think you'll have A.J. Epinesa, Leonard Floyd, all rotating, uh, Greg Rousseau, obviously all that stuff. You, you, we know at this point who's going to be on the defensive line for the Bills. What do the Bills have to do to contain Mahomes and make him uncomfortable throughout this game? Well, I think what does help the Bills, and you're right, they've certainly had games, whether it be in the playoffs, the 13-second game, the AFC title game, where they've seemingly covered well. They've even pressured Patrick Mahomes quite a bit. Uh, and that's when he's had Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith and you know good blockers up front, especially on the interior. What I do think helps the Bills is that they've become a very, I mean, always under Sean McDermott, they were more zone heavy, but I believe they're one of the still one of the zone heaviest teams in the NFL. A little bit more difficult 
to run and create those 15, 20, 25 yard gains when a defense is in zone. And I do think, and I've been kind of pushing for him. He's, he's kind of been in and out of the lineup, not a starter anymore. Using Dorian Williams as a quarterback spy in those obvious passing situations, because he has that sub four or five speed, we've seen him kind of like mug the A gap and kind of be right over the, the center's helmet. And he usually hasn't blitzed. They used him a, a little bit over the last couple of weeks, kind of as either a blitzer or as a quarterback spy. I think in those obvious passing situations, play zone, have everyone's eyes on the quarterback. And that is where the likes of Christian Benford and certainly Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, everyone on this defense is most comfortable playing in Sean McDermott's zone-based defense. But then let Dorian Williams with his speed just track Patrick Mahomes. Not that that is the ultimate solution and and, and that's going to limit what Patrick Mahomes does, but I think that'll be key. And the one other point, which we can continue to talk about this, the Bills have to tackle well. And I don't think that means that they can't miss one tackle, but the Chiefs are still second in the NFL in yards after the catch per reception, over six or over six yards, 6.1 yards after the catch per reception. It has become a yards after the catch based offense in Kansas City without Tyreek Hill. Now, last year they took that all the way to the Super Bowl. This year they haven't been as efficient. There's going to be a lot of screens, a lot of misdirection, a lot of quick throws, getting the ball out of his hands in a hurry. They don't have to have the greatest tackling performance ever. They just can't have a horrible tackling performance. And that means the cornerbacks, the outside linebackers, the safeties flying down the alley um, against this Chiefs defense or against this Chiefs offense. Yeah, that's a nice wrinkle, Chris. I like it because with the Dotson Dorian Williams thing, because when Dotson's in there, I think he does fill run gaps pretty well. He does. Yes, he's become a good run defender. Right. He he overshoots his gaps sometimes, which again, I did see in training cap at times too. Like there'd be a play where I'd be like, wow, he really filled that well. And then the next play, he'd he'd overshoot it or or pursue it. But for the most part, I think he's done really well against the run. But in passing downs, it comes to my mind Jalen Hurts, quarterback spy in a key third down late in that Bills Eagles game. I mean, Dodson had no chance. Um, so, again, I think he's not that good in open space, not that good in coverage. So, I've never really thought about that until now. Uh, Dorian Williams bringing him in on, on passing downs against Patrick Mahomes to make him – allow him to be a spy, play free, play fast, which is what he was coming out of college. I think that's mm-hmm. a good – a very good wrinkle that the Bills could use. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't think that that means he's going to play 30 snaps. Um, but what I will say, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe he never plays at all against the Chiefs. They've had this bye week to incorporate some wrinkles. And speaking of, I'll jump back to the offensive side quickly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. They also have had time to incorporate Dawson Knox back to the offense. We have not seen, obviously, Joe Brady with Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid. We heard everything about 12 personnel in the offseason. It, it, it worked well early on in the season when the Bills were a lot healthier, um, but we've seen that Joe Brady likes to spread it out. And I don't think with Dawson Knox back, that means, oh, he's just going to go condensed formations, jumbo packages, all 12 personnel. I think he'll spread out and use Dawson Knox in some of those empty four and five wide receiver tight end sets. Just be interesting to see any new wrinkles that we or the rest of the NFL has yet to see with Dalton Kincaid and presumably Dawson Knox back on the field. Those two 
athletic and formidable tight ends for the Bills. Yeah, I want to touch on the injury report real quick. Nothing really new for the Bills um, in terms of their injury injury front. I know, like you said, Dawson Knox could come back. Uh, Andy Reid was asked about Nick Bolton. Uh, he, he said that he's not really sure his kind of timetable for a return. Obviously, um, Tranquil got hurt, so that's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. What are they going to do at middle linebacker? I know they were down to the third string uh middle linebacker in that game against the Packers, which they lost. They lost a safety too, Brian Cook. Yeah, Brian Cook and McKinnon as well, who, again, he's not really that dynamic. But, again, he has pass-catching ability out of the backfield. I want to talk about this guy, Isaiah Pacheco. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, dude, like, every time like I, every time I watch the Chiefs, I'm like, okay, this guy runs really hard, really, really hard. He's hard to tackle. And, like, Every time I rewatch the Chiefs, I continue to say that to myself. Like it's astonishing this guy and how he runs and his ability to have that energy nonstop, twenty four seven, five yard run. Let's get up and flex. Uh, you know, first down. Let's. You know, he's he's just an animal. He's he's crazy. He's very good. Um, three touchdowns in his last two games, over one hundred sixty yards rushing. That's going to be a you know a focal point for this Chiefs offense to get them in a rhythm. Is hand the ball off to Isaiah Pacheco. He's in a rhythm. He's very good. What do the Bills have to do to stop him? Yeah, that's a really good point, uh, just kind of framing Pacheco's game. The one thing before I answer your question, there's almost a thought, and like watching the games, like, and they've been on primetime a lot, rightfully so, the Chiefs. It's like, oh, he's this small back. He's not small. He's He was 216, 5'10", 2'16", and he ran 4'3", So, like, he's kind of a rare dude. It's not like – and I get it that he was a seventh rounder. He played at Rutgers. But being 5'10", almost 220, that's about as compact as you're going to see – at the NFL level with that speed, you like never see that. Like go look for a 5'10, 220 pound back with four, three, seven speed. It's just not out there to stop them is, is, is very tough on the ground because of those three guys that I mentioned earlier, Creed Humphrey at center, Joe Tooney and Trey Smith. They're just, it's probably the best interior trio in all of the NFL. Ed Oliver is going to have his work cut out for him, but he has been fantastic this season. The rotation up front, Linval Joseph, I think is going to play a key role. You mentioned Tyrell Dodson. He needs to have one of his better games. Um, even Tim Settle, Jordan Phillips, they they all need to be able to get off blocks or at least clog the interior as much as they can to allow uh, uh, the second level guys. And even Jordan Poyer and Taron Johnson, who play kind of that third linebacker role, um, it kind of felt like in the second half against the Eagles, after the first half went horribly through the air for Jalen Hurts, it was like the Eagles said, okay, let's try to run the ball. And they did have a lot more success in the second half. For as crazy as it seems, and I mentioned this earlier with the Bills' ability, this newfound ability to run the ball, for as crazy as it seems for the Chiefs to say, we're going to go into this game and run the football and take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. I honestly won't be surprised if they are run-heavy to start this game, unless the Bills play really well up front in their front seven or front eight uh, in the first quarter, first half or so. And then we've kind of seen that throughout history, Andy Reid kind of likes to shy away from the run and will just lean on his quarterback, which that makes a lot of sense. But don't be surprised if Isaiah Pacheco is a focal point and it's not really all about Patrick Mahomes early on. It's, it's really, it's very difficult to stop their ground game because it's very inside zone, a lot of power scheme up the middle, um, because the tackles are a little weak and their right tackle. Um, was it, no, was it Juwan Taylor or did one of the, the left, tackles left got tackle, hurt? Left tackle, left tackle went down. Left There's tackle. Taylor Donovan Smith got hurt. Yeah. So yeah. You, a lot of runs up the middle, 
Um, and like I said, Tyrell Dotson really before the Eagles game was having a tremendous season against the run. That's the one kind of silver lining, or I don't want to say the only hope for the bills, but to have a linebacker that is bigger, that is very ingrained in the system, uh, should make the fields bills feel better about dealing with the inside ground game of the chiefs that I think is one of the best in the NFL. 100%. 100%. Patrick Mahomes stats this year, 3,127 yards, 22 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Josh Allen threw 12 games this year, thirty-two, just over 3,200 yards, 33 uh, total touchdowns and 13 interceptions. So, I mean, hey, stats uh, and all the advanced analytics, you look at the efficiency ratings and all that stuff, Josh Allen's having one of his uh, best seasons. Despite he is. Numbers. Um, he really is. Yeah. Where – so now – you, you talk about Pacheco and, and the Chiefs maybe using that, right? Attacking that mm-hmm. way to start the game, using him. And that, I think, kind of coincides with my next point and probably one of the last points we get to before keys to the victory for both teams and a little prediction. The Chiefs' secondary weapons behind Travis Kelsey. Where do the Chiefs go if the Bills take away Travis Kelsey? Look, you have Sky Moore, who, again, has yet to really be consistent. Kadarius Tony's now turning to kind of like a gadget piece for them. A lot of, you know, end arounds and stuff that you're not really seeing him be like a, a true wide receiver on the outside or in the slot. Uh, you know, I think Rasheed Rice, again, I, I didn't love Rasheed Rice coming out, but he has shown an ability after the catch that I'm a little bit surprised about. They used him in the short screen game. He's not really getting vertically that much. And then obviously uh, MVS, it's, at times he has his moments, but I, I still feel like for a guy that he's in the lead because of his ability to, you know, go deep and, and, take the top off a of defense has trouble tracking the ball in the air and, you know, understanding of where to go with Patrick Mahomes. So just tell me about, you know, what do the chiefs do if the bills are able to take away Kelsey and on the flip side, what do the bills do if McDuffie and what the chiefs are doing take away Stephon Diggs? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, what I would say is with the chiefs and we kind of touched on it earlier, it is such a yards after the catch based offense. So with Rasheed Rice, a lot of quick screens, a lot of shallow crosses, like not asking him to run intricate routes. He's not running of what they, you know, like what is called a full route tree at this point. But Andy Reid is still, I think, elite in his ability to create space with misdirection, you know, a fake pitch to the left. And then Patrick Mahomes spins around, throws it to Rice. There's only one defender in front of him. Stiff arms and makes him miss. And it ends up being an eight yard gain. That's Rasheed Rice. Richie James is another one who's not quite as big or physical, but is good after the catch. Kadarius, Tony, same way. They're all like these underneath extensions of the run game. You're totally spot on with MVS. Um, I think, though, he is so limited, and although they're they're not obviously as fast as they used to be, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer both being back there, we've seen since they've both been back and been 100% healthy, not quite as many down-the-field plays as we saw when they were both not 100% or not on the field. Now, it's not to the level of where they were in their primes where the Bills were like allowing no explosive plays <laughs> through the air per game. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not going to say don't worry about MBS, but he is very limited. And with the extra week, you would think the Bills would have a, a game plan to understand, okay, he's on the field. He's probably going to do the opposite of Rasheed Rice. And while those guys are going horizontally, MBS is going down the field. The one other player who I think's actually been – the best, most well-rounded wide receiver for them is Justin Watson, who he's made plays. I think he's near the top of the team lead in in, in touchdown catches. Um, he's made plays underneath. He's made certainly had some drops as well, some marquee drops in a couple tight games for the Chiefs, but made plays at the intermediate level and down the football field. There's some advanced 
analytics out there that has shown that he's been able to create separation as well. So it's not, I don't think it's as bad of a group as the drops in prime time have made everyone out has kind of created that narrative. Like this is just the worst receiver group in the league. They all though have their individual roles and it almost feels like last year, all that was different was really Juju Smith Schuster, who wasn't that dynamic. So it's just that Andy Reid understands that these are all niche players. And again, it is a very quick strike. Get the ball out of Mahomes' hands. I mean, occasionally he likes to hold on to it and show off his arm. We, we'll certainly see that. But it is a very quick strike, yards after the catch based offense. Um, and with the one vertical element. And I guess, you know, with Meikle Hardman technically there, um, I don't know if he's, is he hurt? Why am I thinking, is he hurt again? Um, I do not believe I so. He was, he was returning punts for them. He was well, returning punts. So anyway, yeah. it's him and MVS and the rest of it is all underneath. So I think that those extension of the run game type plays, whether or not the Chiefs, Rasheed Rice, Richie James, those receivers, Kadarius Tony, are able to make a lot of defenders miss or not, that will be integral in deciding this game all right let's go to keys to the victory for the chiefs um again i i think i'm not going to say i knew your answer for if the day if, if the chiefs are able to take away digs but i think it's continuing to use the use the running backs and the tight ends and clearly i mean i think i think the bill's secondary weapons this year have taken a step have yep. taken it to another level yeah so, so go ahead yeah oh no yeah like so i was going to say what's interesting to me is that in a season that I've been kind of, I guess I've been hard on Gabe Davis, but I think it's, it's, it's justified in a season to me that was a contract year for him where he had an opportunity to make a ton of money and be that legitimate number two. It's been disappointing, but to your point, despite that, if you were to tell someone Gabe Davis is going to have a down season, you would say, man, well, the Bills' secondary wideouts and pass catching targets must have all taken a step back. I agree with you. I think, the secondary group the last couple of years as we got out of as we saw the Bills get out of the the prime Cole Beasley and John Brown era was like who if if Diggs is not going to make a big play who's it going to be that hasn't been the case this year I watching Bills games I don't feel as much like Diggs has to have this eight catch 180 yard two touchdown performance for the Bills to win and that's been because of Kincaid the occasional splash play from uh Khalil Shakir who you mentioned um, the running backs out of the backfield, just moving the chains where Josh Allen can check the football down. So I think you're absolutely spot on in saying that, that this is not as well-rounded as they were in 2020 within prime Cole Beasley and John Brown and Gabe Davis as your four um, who, who got down the field. But it is definitely a group that doesn't have to rely on Stefan Diggs as much as it has the last two years. Yeah, you're right with that. Um the, you know, the refs are going to be a factor. I had that in my notes. I don't really want to talk about it, but obviously the, the refs have just been, uh, I, I don't really talk much about the refs. I think they're just bad across the board. I don't really think, I don't look at the refs as like, oh, they have this vendetta against this team. Or the, I just think they've been bad. I think that's yeah, just, that's, like, some, some fans take it to like this person. I'm like, dude, it's just, that's refs, man. It's like, it's, it, first of all, it's very hard. Second of all, it's every, every team's going through it. So. Yeah, and it, it's it's kind of the exact same to me as like injuries. Like you wouldn't go into a preview of the game and say, well, like a key to this game is to not get injured. Like, okay, yeah, obviously. And like, so I think your point about the refs, it's good that you mentioned that they have been very bad because they have across the league, but you can't really pinpoint or expect or hope that 
anything great is going to happen for one team or the other. The Bills could get a couple bad calls against them or vice versa. They could go against the Chiefs. So just go in. I think we all do expecting some really head scratching calls, even ones that are wrong on review. Those are the ones that really, to me, are super strange. I don't know how they get those wrong, super slow motion. And it seems like it happens, though, every game, every Sunday. So that's probably the correct way to look at the refs to just say, hey, look, they're just going to be bad. Like, we have to expect that. All right. What is your key to the victory? Well, we won't focus on Chiefs anymore. What's your key to the victory okay. for the Bills to win this game? It's going to be just on the offensive side that I think when you play Patrick Mahomes, it's in Arrowhead. It's like, how do you stop him? How do you stop the Chiefs offense? And that's not disrespecting the Chiefs offense, because obviously, like I said, last year with a very similar style offense, they won the Super Bowl. And they, by a lot of metrics, were even more efficient moving the ball than they were with Tyree Kill, which seems preposterous that they were able to do that. I just think the Bills need to keep the mojo going on offense. And that doesn't mean that they're going to score a touchdown on every drive like they did in that wild card round against the Patriots. But I think, again, we we saw it in that first half and really for the entire game against the Eagles, keeping their foot on the gas pedal, that even if they weren't scoring, they were six, seven, eight, nine play drives that were either getting into field goal range or flipping the field, use a lot of motion, use play action, use those empty sets. And I love those empty sets because it gives Josh Allen not only four or five targets, but it just literally creates space in the defense. The throwing lanes are so much bigger and you have so many mismatches where you have a middle linebacker flexed out on Dalton Kincaid or on a tight end or on a running back or even on Stefan Diggs or Khalil Shakira after using motion. So stay creative on offense and just keep that momentum going and that positive energy and the confidence that Josh Allen has had with Joe Brady running the show on offense. Yeah, uh, perfectly said. I, I'm the kind of the same way. I'll take it, you know, a little bit uh, further with the, the the offense in terms of the offensive line. Chris Jones, obviously a, a mm. huge ask of any defensive line. I think it's a big game again for Mitch Morris or Cyrus Torrance in that interior if McGovern's asked for that role as well. It'll be a big thing. Um, but, yeah, this, this Chiefs defense has been getting to the quarterback this year. Uh, so, again, I think, you know, on that defensive side of the ball, when you're able, and the Packers did a great job of this in that first drive when the Chiefs were trying to respond, the two quarterback sacks in the red zone of Patrick Mahomes. Mm. Like, to be able to do that, it might not meet – it might be in the first quarter, but that's a tone setter, and that's something that not a lot of teams can do. So if you can get to the Patrick Mahomes and get him down, not force a throw away, not, you know, force a heroic, you know, pitch or throw with his left hand or whatever, the, whatever magic he comes up with, if you can get him down – when you have the opportunity and then if Josh Allen can ev evade sacks and make plays in the pocket, I think that the line of scrimmage up front for both these teams is a big one in this one. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say one more thing. That's kind of a segue off that to me and like why I, I think the biggest key is just the bills staying as efficient as they have on offense, which is obviously easier said than done, but I think all the components are there for them to do that. I almost go into games watching Patrick Mahomes expecting what you just mentioned, those magical plays, uh, and for the Bills to be as injured as they are on defense, I'm not going to say that that they should expect to you know give up 30 points, but just focusing on the offense and trying to execute as almost close to flawlessly as possible, I think matters more than saying, hey, like let's really try to hold this Chiefs offense to 13 points in this game and try to win it 17-13. The last point that I will say that's kind of a segue off that point, stay aggressive with your in-game decision-making the fourth and twos, the fourth and fours, fourth and sixes, 
even though this is not the same Chiefs offense, you can look at every metric, and I'm sure the Bills have during the bye week, it's still Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid running the show. So if the Bills have the ball, and I haven't been totally against every Bills, you know, fourth down, field goal, goal forward decision, but what's happened is like watching games with my friends or my dad or my wife, in games like against the Broncos, a game that seemed like was going to be low scoring. I was like, take the points. You need to get on the board. But I've always said, but if you were facing Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, you go for this. That every possession, if you have a chance to score six points and then seven points or even go for two, you definitely need to take it. And with as good as Josh Allen is playing and just how good he's been this season, uh, I think that kind of has to play into what I mentioned about keeping the foot on the gas pedal offensively. That even if you're in, a fourth and four situation at the 50 yard line in the first quarter, you don't necessarily have to say, Hey, Oh, absolutely. We need to punt this football. I mean, you can play the field possession game a little bit, but I think that's one fault of Sean McDermott this season for as much as he's held the defense together. I think he's had a little bit too much faith in this iteration of the defense, that this defense without Matt Milano, without Tredavious white, without Daquan Jones. Now, if all those guys were there or three of those four guys were there and Von Miller was completely healthy, you would be able to say, hey, look, punt the football. Our def- like We trust the last five years of this defense, what it's going to be able to do. Some of those late game uh, non-stops for the Bills defense where they have not been able to get off the field in, in crunch time, I think has been because they don't have a lot of probably their four or five best play or four of their five best players on the defensive side. So be offensive minded in this game in Arrowhead against Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and if you're going to overtime in Arrowhead and you have a fourth and seven after a miscommunication, I'm not <laughs> saying I'm not saying go for it, but like I, I am. would almost rather see the Bills try and go and on the, the game than rather because you're like again, if you kick a field goal there, I, I understand why they do it. I understand like to your point, if they had Matt Milano, Daquan Jones and all and Trey White and all these guys that they're missing, plus you're you know you're going against Patrick Mahomes. So like like you said, I think Fourth, really overtime, unless you're like on your own side of the field and you're, if, 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 if it gets to that point, again, being ultra aggressive to your point is correct. Prediction yep. time. Um, you can go first and I'll follow. If you don't have one, just maybe run it over. But I, I usually do a score prediction for my shows. So just uh, give me yours. All right. I'm going to go 27 21 Bills. I think pretty close. Uh, but I, I think like we saw against the Eagles, the Bills will be the better team. For most of this game, a confident Josh Allen, I think, is as scary as a confident Patrick Mahomes. And it kind of feels like Allen is playing with more assertiveness and more belief in the offense play caller, the secondary weapons, Stephon Diggs to get Dawson Knox back, the run game. Now, certainly Patrick Mahomes has confidence in Andy Reid and his offensive line, but the rest of the offense, I don't know if he feels that confidence right now Um, and losing drew tranquil who has been a great coverage linebacker for the chiefs he's probably not going to play suffered a concussion most concussions um, are at least one game out for that player brian cook has been a very active versatile safety for them uh, to lose him as well and if the right if the left tackle donovan smith can't go you're starting a rookie um, against greg rousseau and leonard floyd who have been very good so I think things are kind of aligning for the Bills to be able to, to be able to come in and not get overwhelmed by this Chiefs team. And I think if the Bills can weather the storm early, and I, I don't expect there to be as chaotic of a storm as there has been in the past in Arrowhead, especially in the playoffs, 
They have the confidence that they've won there in the regular season. I think a 27-21 game that uh, that score feels closer than the game ultimately is. I, I think the Bills do their job and win this game on Sunday in Arrowhead. Yeah, I'll take the other side of it. I'm going 30-27 Chiefs. Um, okay. I just... The, the, the Bills in, in certain situations, and I will say this, I think I think it's going to be one score going into the fourth quarter, like no matter yep. what. I just trust the execution of Patrick Mahomes and what they've done That's holistically fair. more than what Josh Allen and Sean McDermott have done. Now, I will say this. If the Bills do win this game and they're going, you know, they're seven and six, they're a couple of games go their way, they're around 30 to 40% to make the playoffs. You have the Cowboys at home next week. I think it's shaping up to be – you know, if you can get to seven and six and you're looking, you're right on the brink of the playoffs. I think there's there's a good opportunity for the Bills to actually make a run and win out. Now, I will say that the Cowboys, for me, are probably the toughest opponent left. But again, like you said earlier in the show, you get that them at home. You've had success against the Dolphins. Um, Chris, one last thing before we go. I was going to ask you about uh, potential first-round targets um, mm. for the Bills, but I'm going to switch up the question just because I always okay. like to surprise my guests and it kind All of right. came to I like me. That. Uh, throughout the show. So what, who is the biggest surprise as a rookie in the NFL this year, in terms of like your, your draft grades, your scores and the biggest disappointment. Um, mm. So so one of each biggest surprise for players you've kind of covered and talked to and watch film of X's and O's. I know you do all that stuff very well. Um, so what's your biggest surprise, biggest uh, disappointment. Okay. My biggest surprise, and this is, I mean, I'm sure someone could look at my big board and this might not be the biggest gap that I've had in terms of where I had a player and then how well he's played Puka Nakua of the Rams. Like talk about a gadget guy at BYU. He was like jet sweep end around underneath. Like he was good. He was the heart and soul of that offense, but running the intricate routes at the intermediate level down the field, he scored the long touchdown against the Browns on Sunday did not test very well at the combine. It just kind of seemed like, okay, he, he could be a wide receiver three, maybe wide receiver four. That's just underneath possession guy. And I thought at first, because he was used um, as the number one in Sean McVay's offense while Cooper cup was hurt early in the season. I was like, this is just pretty much opportunity based. Like they're just saying, look, we're going into every game. We're going to throw you like 15 balls a game. It's Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay. But since Cooper Cup has returned, now Puka hasn't been at quite as good, but he's shown that he is a formidable wide receiver. I did not see that coming with Puka Nakua ahead. I mean, outside of CJ Stroud and a few others, he he's right up there in the offensive rookie of the year conversation. Did not see that coming as a fifth round pick out of BYU. Most disappointing, the one that pops out to me is Tyree Wilson, the first round pick by the Oakland Raiders. Now, I Everyone knew it. It was funny. There was like one thing that everyone in draft Twitter could agree upon last March, April was that Tyree Wilson always got a late jump off the ball, like off the snap. But what a lot of people, including myself thought was, okay, he's doing that, but he was so productive at Texas tech despite that. And I thought at miles Garrett size with a freaky, uh, you know, arm length wingspan, wasn't able to, to work out, but he seemed like he would have tested very well. And he's been really bad. Like he has not been able to pressure the quarterback. Hasn't been able to fix that problem of just being like almost like a half second late off the football, even being able to soak up as much knowledge as he could in practice in the film room from Max Crosby, who to me is an elite defensive end. I thought we would just see some times of the 
rawness to his game, but then other times he would just take over with his length and his power like he did at Texas Tech. Um, and he really has not done that for the Raiders, and it was a top 10 pick. Chris, thank you so much for coming on uh, to Ages Analysis. Uh, it, this will be going we, – we're recording on Tuesdays. That's kind of my thing now. I, I record on Tuesday, So this will be available on Thursday at 2 o'clock on anywhere you listen to your podcast. Chris, let the people know where they can find you and just a little bit about what you do. Okay, so I'm on CBSSports.com. I'm the NFL Draft and Young Player Analyst. I was telling AJ off-air before we recorded – Pretty much until the playoffs, I'm kind of my job has grown into being mostly just analyzing the NFL and young players. Then I'll kind of flip it and go full NFL draft. Certainly pay attention to the playoffs and the Super Bowl. But by the time AJ and I meet up again uh, at the combine, I'll be in full draft mode, of course. One other point that I wanted to bring up, because this is the Bills podcast. I tweeted this before the uh, game against the Eagles. Since the start of 2021, I just want to end with this. The Bills are six and seven in games in which they've turned the football over in the first quarter. And we know that there have been some of those first quarter turnover games this season. They lost to the Eagles. So this next stat kind of changes that a little. In that same time frame, the Bills are 23 and eight. That's about a 75% win percentage in all of their other regular season games, meaning the games that they have not turned the football over. So they're batting 750 if they don't turn the football over in the first quarter, and they're actually under 500 when they do turn the football over in the first quarter. We've seen some of those, you know, first play of the game, James Cook fumble, Josh Allen turnover against the Patriots. Uh, So that's just kind of another thing that as you're getting ready, you got your beer, you got your favorite wings, whatever you're having for in the game, Pay attention. Do the Bills turn the ball over in the first quarter against the Chiefs? If they don't, the recent history in the Josh Allen era says there's a much better chance that they ultimately go ahead and win that game. Sounds good. Very cool fact from Chris to end the show. Um, Again, thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for coming on, and I appreciate, you know, all the work you do and uh, everything you do for the Bills and, you know, draft stuff for a person like me that wants to get into it, um, the coverage you provide. Thanks a lot, AJ. Appreciate it. All right, everybody, have a good week. I will be talking to you next Thursday about the results for Bills Chiefs and previewing this Bills Cowboys matchup. Until then, I will see you next Thursday.